This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. After four days and 15 rounds of voting, Kevin McCarthy's humiliating wait to become Speaker of America's House of Representatives ended. A caucus of 20 hard-right Republicans had initially blocked his path, but a swath of concessions, including allowing a single lawmaker to force a vote on ousting the Speaker, eventually persuaded enough of them to drop their opposition. There appeared little sign that a unilateral 36-hour ceasefire in Ukraine, announced by the Kremlin to mark Orthodox Christmas, was holding. Shelling by Russian troops in occupied territories was reported in the east. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, called the promised cessation a tactical ploy. Meanwhile, a Ukrainian military chief told The Guardian that Russia was planning to mobilize another 500,000 conscripts for a summer assault. Jack Ma gave up control of Ant Group, the Chinese fintech group he founded, as the firm sets its sights on a public listing. Mr. Ma fell foul of the Communist Party in 2020 after criticizing its industrial policy. The tycoon then disappeared from public view for months. A new listing would suggest the government's subsequent tech crackdown is being relaxed. American jobs growth fell in December as high interest rates cooled the labor market, a consequence of the Federal Reserve's ongoing battle against high inflation. America added 223,000 jobs last month, official statistics showed, compared with 256,000 in November. Still, the unemployment rate dipped from 3.6% to 3.5%. That means the Fed is likely to continue its aggressive monetary policy. America's Food and Drug Administration conditionally approved a new Alzheimer's treatment that may slow the disease's progress, following an 18-month clinical trial that showed promising results. The regulator directed the drug, called lecanemab, to be labeled for patients in early and mild stages of Alzheimer's. In 2021, the FDA approved a different Alzheimer's drug and was widely criticized for doing so prematurely. Eurozone inflation slowed more than anticipated in December, helped by a drop in gas prices. Headline annual inflation fell for a second consecutive month down from 10.1% in November to 9.2% in December. But core inflation, which omits volatile energy and food prices, rose from 5% to 5.2%, signaling more underlying inflationary pressures. François Villeroy de Galhau, France's central bank governor, warned of further European interest rate rises. Britain's government announced a plan to support research into mRNA vaccines for cancer treatment in partnership with BioNTech, a German company that used the technology to create a COVID-19 vaccine. The plan aims to accelerate clinical trials for the vaccines with the goal of delivering treatments to 10,000 patients by 2030. BioNTech's co-founder, Aslam Tureshi, said that Britain was a great partner for the project. And word of the week, Mauj, the name of a sex education website run by Arab women, meaning wave of sexual pleasure in Arabic. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. A Divided Orthodox Christmas For most Christians, the last traces of Christmas will be gone by Saturday. Some consider it bad luck to keep up decorations after Epiphany on Friday. 
but members of the Orthodox Church, the dominant religion in Russia and Ukraine, will be celebrating. They follow the Julian calendar rather than the more popular Gregorian, so Christmas Day falls on Saturday. Russia ordered a brief ceasefire in its war to mark the occasion, though fighting has continued. But many Ukrainians have already celebrated the nativity. For the first time, the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, OCU, one of the two main Orthodox churches in the country, allowed the faithful to mark Christmas on December 25th. That sets the OCU at odds with the Russian Orthodox Church and with the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, UOC, the country's other main church. Until May, the UOC fell under the authority of the Russian Church. Many still view it as a fifth column. This Christmas is unlikely to bring much unity. Facebook's Deplatforming Decision The morning after the Capitol riot, Mark Zuckerberg indefinitely suspended Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts. Mr. Trump had used the sites to, quote, condone rather than condemn that day's violence, said the social media firm's boss. The ban was later shortened to two years, with the possibility of his replatforming if the, quote, risk to public safety had diminished. The two-year mark comes on Saturday. A verdict about whether to reinstate Mr. Trump is expected later this month. The choice is thorny, though arguably less consequential than one might think. First, the former president may choose not to post, preferring Truth Social, his own platform. Mr. Trump has stayed mum on Twitter since Elon Musk welcomed him back to that site in November. Second, he is much diminished as a political figure, especially after his chosen candidate's dismal showing at the midterm elections. His pronouncements, simply put, matter less than they once did. COVID surveillance is faltering. Three years ago this week, scientists in China isolated the first strain of the novel coronavirus that would spawn the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, all eyes are on China. The country has stopped reporting reliable data on cases and deaths, just as it faces the world's biggest wave of infections. This is stoking worries that if a scary new variant emerges there, other countries will be unaware until their hospitals fill up. But variants can appear anywhere. More infections increase the chances of that, and COVID is spreading freely around the world. About 2% of people in Britain, for example, had COVID on any given day in recent months. The latest and most contagious offshoot of the Omicron variant, called XBB 1.5, probably originated in America. Sharing genomic sequences is the first step to dealing with new variants. But as countries abandon testing, such surveillance is winding down. That is what the world should worry about most. Prince Harry's Agonistes There must be some very irritated with Netflix executives. Six agonizing hours of the royal docu-soap offered little more than Kashmir, California, and platitudes. By contrast, even before its official publication on Tuesday, leaks from Prince Harry's new book, Spare, have offered revelations about him, losing his virginity to an older woman in a field, he, quote, mounted her quickly, she, quote, spanked him, tripping on magic mushrooms, he imagined that a pedal bin spoke, and a description of how his father broke the news about Diana's death. There was no hug. Perhaps most sensationally, Harry has revealed that during a fight in which Prince William called his wife Meghan, quote, 
difficult, and, quote, rude, his brother grabbed him, quote, by the collar, ripping my necklace, and knocked me to the floor. Until that moment, few had probably realized that the fifth in line to the throne still wore a necklace. Weekend Profile Andriy Kostin, Ukraine's Prosecutor with a Plan Few would envy Andriy Kostin, Ukraine's new-ish Prosecutor General. His office is short on armored vehicles, bulletproof vests, and kit to detect landmines, which he calls, quote, a real threat to his officers in the field. His office has nonetheless recorded more than 60,000 alleged Russian war crimes, ranging from torture and executions to strikes on over 400 medical facilities. Allies have lent him investigators, but with only about 200 Ukrainian war crimes prosecutors, the team is stretched thin. An inauspicious discovery led to Mr. Kostin's appointment in July. His predecessor was dismissed after numerous prosecutorial officials were suspected of collaborating with Russia. But Mr. Kostin, a law graduate of Odessa National University, is himself not entirely free of controversy. In 2021, Mr. Kostin's candidacy to lead an anti-corruption arm of the institution he now runs failed. Watchdogs saw, quote, significant violations in his ethical conduct, including two visits to occupied Crimea, failure to report a sale of real estate to a different anti-corruption body, and possible nepotism. Mr. Kostin now dismisses the matter as a, quote, historical question. In the present, he is crafting a bold agenda. He describes Russia's war as genocide, noting that Russian officials have spoken of, quote, de-Ukrainization. He says some 14,000 cases of Ukrainian children being forcibly taken to Russia and Belarus amount to, quote, stealing Ukraine's future. Mr. Kostin believes that most cases of Russian war crimes can be tried in Ukrainian courts. They have already convicted 21 people of war crimes, some in absentia. More ambitiously, Mr. Kostin would also like to see Russia's top leaders tried for aggression against Ukraine, but neither Ukraine nor the International Criminal Court have the legal authority to do so. Mr. Kostin is therefore lobbying hard for the creation of a special international tribunal, possibly by a vote of the UN's General Assembly, no small undertaking. The tribunal's priority would be to try Vladimir Putin, Russia's president. Many countries will hesitate to lend support, but outrage over Russia's war, Mr. Kostin says, is steadily building the necessary political capital. If Mr. Kostin succeeds, he will have made his mark on history. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random were Alexa Baker, Berlin, Germany Mike Soar, Philadelphia, United States Peter Nicklin, Naivasha, Kenya They all gave the correct answers of the Reverend Collins, The Moon and Sixpence, Watts, Henley-on-Thames, and Kenneth Starr. The theme is famous drummers, Phil Collins, Keith Moon, Charlie Watts, Don Henley, and Ringo Starr. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Nikola Tesla, who died on this day in 1943. Of all things, I liked books best. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. 
You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.